You're listening to the Abramoney 3.0 show, your guide to the future of all things money. In today's episode, Abra founder and CEO Bill Barhide talks to Dash Core Group CEO Ryan Taylor all about Dash. Dash has some really interesting governance features in its master node system, and Dash developers are working to create a fast and low-cost currency that is useful in point-of-sale and instant settlement applications. Before jumping in, remember, the information presented in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be used or construed as an offer to sell or solicitation of an offer to buy any of the financial assets discussed. Any opinions expressed herein are subject to change. Neither Abra nor any of the participants in this podcast make any representation as to the suitability or appropriateness of these financial assets for individual investors. And with that out of the way, on to the show. Hey everyone, Bill Barhide here. Uh, welcome to another exciting episode of Abra's Money 3.0. Uh, with me today is Ryan Taylor, uh, CEO of the, would you say Dash? Dash uh, Core Group. Dash Core Group. Uh, and, and I'd love to actually dig in on that a little bit. We'll get into that in a minute. But um, obviously uh, Dash is one of the key uh, uh, cryptocurrencies supported uh, in the Abra app, and, and we're excited that we now support uh, the ability to both deposit and withdraw via via Dash uh, inside the Abra app. So, um, do you think that when we look back on on cryptocurrency blockchain like 20 years from now, like today we talk about the dot-com days, right? I was at Netscape, we talk about that. When people talk about the, the crypto days from like 20 years ago, where do you think the whole idea of having like altcoins and is gonna is gonna fit in in that conversation, or do you think the conversation is gonna center on Bitcoin? Well, I I obviously am coming from a, a fairly biased place. Okay, well that's uh, that's it, what we want. We want your bias. Yeah, my my background is in payments. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent a number of years in a consulting role, uh, working for some of the largest financial institutions, and then uh, went into the investment field um, and specialized within payments. And I learned a lot about what makes a great payment system, how they get adopted, what are the decision-making criteria for merchants, for consumers. And so I'm taking kind of that the, those lenses to the cryptocurrency space. And I think that it's pretty clear by now that different cryptocurrencies and crypto assets can perform different tasks better or worse. And there are technical trade-offs between speed, scalability, um, uh, uh, security, and so on. And with a variety of different needs in the marketplace, it's clear to me that years from now, it will be abundantly obvious why there are multiple assets that are needed to f- fulfill all of these all of these things. Um, so you foresee a future where we're talking about lots of different cryptocurrency projects, and we're looking back and saying, you know, the the VHS moment for Bitcoin may have been something like Dash, where we could now facilitate real payments, maybe as in addition to, to the digital gold model of Bitcoin. Is that is that fair? Yeah, and I, I think that there's different types of payments. Um, right. there, there's micro payments and and uh, uh, a lot of payments. You need the liquidity of, of Bitcoin, as an example. I would never suggest purchasing a home with Bitcoin or with Dash because the liquidity isn't there in the marketplace to, mm-hmm. to allow that that transfer to take place. 
And so you can already see with those examples that there might be advantages or disadvantages to different technologies based on the value transfer that you're trying to accomplish. Well, given the state of Dash today, and we'll get into the details of the differences in a minute, but let's make this super useful right away. Given the state of Dash today, what type of payment is Dash most suited for now? And then what type of payment will you think that it would be suited for, let's say, in two to three years if it's not the same type of payment? Well, the types of payments that Dash facilitates really well is point-of-sale type transactions. And there's a few reasons for that. One, it's instant. Uh, all transactions are locked within one to two seconds. And that makes it very viable at a point-of-sale. Uh, it's also very inexpensive. And so you get that combination of speed and low, low cost. It's not so low cost that you can do Internet of Things purchases mm -hmm. of a thermostat reading on a, a device yep. or something and pay a, a fraction of a fraction of a penny for it economically. And so it doesn't do everything well, but it really performs these these point of sale transactions very well. And also any transaction that requires instant settlement. Uh, gaming is another example where we're seeing a lot of natural uptake within the gaming industry because you can place bets that no other payment method can facilitate. It's a cash-like instrument, but it settles within two seconds. That allows you to place a, a bet right before a game starts or something without any risk to the merchant. Now, how is it that Dash is able to achieve instant settlement uh, when you know traditional you know, Bitcoin or, or other similar blockchains are using uh, some multi-minute um, block cycles, which in English simply means the amount of time between which any transactions could be recognized by the network. But you're saying that you can do it in two, in two seconds. Yeah, uh, the average time is about 1.8 seconds. And the way that the network is able to reach that level of consensus, where there's essentially no risk for the recipient, is um, through a second layer of our network called masternodes. Uh, just like with Bitcoin, anyone is free to download the software and use it and run a full node um, and validate all of the transactions. Masternodes are special. Uh, in order to upgrade your node from a, a full node to a masternode, uh, you have to prove ownership over a thousand dash. And what that does is it prevents any one individual control, from controlling a large number of those. There are around 5,000 masternodes, and they're used in a, a way to, to essentially vote on these transactions. Um, in a similar way, uh, when a new block is published by miners, um, that entire block of transactions is locked by an even larger number of masternodes. And so we can achieve a very high level of security in a very short period of time. So if I send a transaction to you, it publishes or you know it propagates around the, the, the network, 30 random masternodes are selected to vote on that transaction. And if a supermajority of them evaluate it and determine there's no conflicting transaction here, uh, within that two seconds, uh, they vote and uh, cast uh, basically a, a special message out to the network 
um, using a special type of cryptography called BLS signatures. And upon receiving that, that uh, lock, the entire network knows that no conflicting transaction can be honored. Got you. At that so, point. so really what you're saying is, is that you're not doing a real-time settlement. Uh, you're actually basically doing the credit card equivalent of an authorization, but in, in a way where the funds can't be used in the future for anything else. Uh, they're they're double they spend been, proof. And actually, they can be reused. I see. Um, so we, you have, we also you have like nested authorizations or something. Yeah. So we, we also introduced a new technology called chain locks that prevent 51% attacks, really any chain reorganization. Within about four to six seconds of a new block being published, that entire block cannot be reversed. Yeah. The combination of the two allow us to do what's called chained instant sends. If I send money to you within the 1.8 seconds, you can then send it to someone else without any risk. Totally to that get it. Recipient. That's fantastic. So, okay. So, so let me play devil. I love this. So let me play devil's advocate for a second. I was listening to um, uh, Nick Sabo on Peter McCormick's podcast the other day. And um, Nick's been very, very consistent on his feelings around Bitcoin. Basically for him, it's most important features are security and trust minimization. Um, why, in, in the face of that comment, why wouldn't the core developers of Bitcoin simply agree that what you're doing makes Bitcoin useful as a payment rail and they should simply adopt that for Bitcoin? Well, I think that um, there would be some barriers to that being accepted by the network. The primary one is economic. Right now, the Bitcoin network uh, protocol basically allocates 100% of the block reward towards miners. Mm -hmm. So in order for a scheme like this to work, you have to have an incentive for the masternode operators. Sure. Um, and Dash splits its block reward. 45% goes towards mining. 45% goes towards masternodes that provide the infrastructure and relay the messages around and store full copies of the blockchain, all the all the stuff that's necessary for the network to run. And the last 10% goes towards our proposal system. This is everything else. Anyone can put a proposal up to the network to receive funding. The masternodes themselves vote on it. So is proposal system a, a fancy word for governance? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it is a, uh, a component of our governance system. Yeah. And so... What would it take for this to get adopted in Bitcoin? Well, it would take the miners to agree that they would give up 55% or some percentage of their earnings. Yep. I think that paints them a bit into a corner because um, giving up a portion of their expected revenue would uh, you know, decrease the returns that they were expecting when they bought their equipment. Sure. Although two years ago they were willing to vote for larger blocks, so which uh, yeah, in, 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 which would not be in their best right, economic best right. interest. But if it's in the interest of the network, in their opinion, right or wrong, yeah, they seem to be willing to at least entertain a vote that isn't in their economic best interest. Although maybe because they're being more long sighted, long term sighted, or have more long term vision for what is in their best interest. Yeah. Right. And, and so for those reasons, it 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 could be adopted. Yeah. Um, I, I don't see a great deal of um, uh, uniform agreement that that would be uh, something that the miners or that, that even network users would, would want. I sure. think that there's a lot of religion within this space about 
how things should be. And uh, it's a bit like trying to move an iceberg um, in many cases where and, it's and why, really hard. Yeah, I get you. Why, why is this not as, uh, well, why, should, why is this as secure as Bitcoin and why is it not as untrust minimized as Bitcoin, meaning it's just as trust minimized as Bitcoin? Or is, not, is that the wrong way to look at it in the first place? Well, I think there's there's many ways you can look at this, and I think that people assume that security and trust are linear, and I think they're far more likely moving three-dimensional objects with multiple variables all working at once to kind of provide different types of security, if, if you will. and. One, one view that you can take is what would it cost to attack this network? Mm -hmm. um, you could calculate that on the basis of how much would I have to pay uh, to rent enough equipment to attack the network over a given period of time, or how much equipment would I need to purchase with a capital outlay in order to attack the network? Um, and so there's a lot of different ways you can calculate the cost of attacking a network. But what Dash has done is at a, at a much smaller scale, dramatically increased the cost of attacking the Dash network. Mm -hmm. Why? Because you would have to control around 60% of the masternodes to issue false locks. Um, and there's no real way to gain that. You, you would literally have to buy 3,000 masternodes worth of Dash. That's 3 million Dash or about, you know, a third of the supply of the entire network. In the process of doing that, you would undoubtedly increase the price along the way. And so you would have to have hundreds of millions of dollars in order to perform that type, type of attack. Um, at what point is security good enough? I, I, that's what I would ask. Once you're 99.999% secure, and it is incredibly tough to attack a network to the point that there's no economic incentive left for doing so, that's probably good enough for most users. Okay, so so that makes perfect sense. So then what is the path to adoption for a system that has you know, effectively real-time authorization, uh, is, is super uh, high-speed performance, um, and is obviously reasonably accessible to the average, uh, at least crypto enthusiast today, uh, what's it going to take? Well, uh, for us, we, we really focus on areas that we think that cryptocurrency is particularly well-suited relative to alternatives, either where there are no alternatives in order to make a particular payment sure. or where the alternatives suck, yeah. right? Okay. Um, Bitcoin is already used a lot for remittances. Um, this is a great use sure. case for Bitcoin. Uh, the existing systems are inefficient. They're really slow to the order of days to get a, a payment across Absolutely. borders. And so uh, certainly remittances is one area that we feel cryptocurrency can really make a difference. And so we're focused there. Uh, high inflation markets, this is obvious, right? What we found is it's not so much the inflation as it is the breakdown of all payment types when inflation, hyperinflation enters a market. We've learned a lot in our adoption efforts in Venezuela 
And at this point, Dash is the most used cryptocurrency at the point of sale in Venezuela. Um, and uh, an another is gaming this or, or high chargeback markets. Um, we're focused on sports betting, esports betting, mm -hmm. and um, uh, fantasy sports type betting because time is very critical in those transactions. Right. You can't wait 10 minutes necessarily for a... <laughs> A bet to settle is that a good yeah or trying to place a bet before a game starts yeah. um that just doesn't you know a, a a 20 30 minute timeline just doesn't work in those scenarios and so we're finding that we can address things that even other cryptocurrencies can't address mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but i think the entire space of high chargeback uh credit card transactions is one that digital cash can do really really well Okay, so let's talk about that for a second. Uh, maybe that in remittances. So, so I get, as somebody who's worked in the payment space as well, I totally get why the chargeback risk of certain transaction types is an issue, um, especially for low margin transactions, right? So always great for the merchant to eliminate chargebacks, but the consumer loves the protection they get from the credit card. So what's the consumer's incentive going to be to want to pay with something like a, a dash that effectively looks like cash uh, versus what they're paying with today that obviously has all of the protections that actually created the chargeback problem in the first place? Well, I think uh, there's, there's two aspects to this that, that you need to focus on. One is it isn't the consumer that's making those transactions in many cases. And that is why the protection becomes important um, if someone sends digital currency, um, it's currency that they control. Mm -hmm. um, so if someone makes a purchase in my name and it wasn't me um, with digital currency, great. I call up the company and say, hey, that wasn't me. Okay, great. We don't owe you any money back. Um, so it eliminates certain types of fraud to begin with because... Mm -hmm. A fraudster isn't going to spend their own money um, in, in order to impersonate you. Um, that, that's just a type of fraud that doesn't exist. They're trying to consume something. Um, so uh, let's look at the consumer's then incentive to use it. The first incentive is I can be charged less. Part of the, the fee that I'm paying to the merchant is to pay for those chargebacks sure. and to pay for the processing. Sure. And so the merchant has the ability to pass along savings to customers that are willing to pay in the equivalent of cash. And so uh, that's one incentive. Um, have you seen any examples? I, I would have thought that areas like cross-border commerce, which I know is a big deal in like Latin America, for example, where people might, might buy goods from the U.S., uh, and have them shipped to Brazil or even vice versa, um, where credit card fees are very high, that the ability to pass on that savings in real time to the consumer via something like Dash would be very compelling. Have you seen real world examples of that yet? Where you see websites charging a discount if I use crypto uh, versus, versus a credit card? I haven't seen widespread examples of this yet. I have seen uh, some examples. Um, we have some on our own website. Um, we have a gift card buying uh, portion of our website. It's giftcards.dash.org, and you can get discounts on m many national brands. Oh, that's cool. 
um, basically we're passing along the savings to the users. Um, there are some other examples and some that we're in discussions with now with some merchants. I think that at cur the current stage, the reason merchants are accepting digital currencies is primarily to access new customers. Mm -hmm. It's not so much that this is driving huge cost savings for them. Mm -hmm. There is a cost to implementing a new payment type. Yep. And so they have that fixed cost that they have to pay for. Right. So I don't think they're quite at the stage where they're willing to pass along the card processing savings to the customer, but I think it will happen eventually. Yep. Um, and, and so I, I think their motivations just aren't quite there yet. Right. But there are certain high chargeback categories where I think you'll see it happen first. And I think gaming is likely to be one of them. We're in discussions with some firms that are considering doing just that yep. to encourage people to stop using credit cards. Essentially, they're already charging them a 3% premium to right. use the credit card. Um, but making that explicit and making it a separate line item, that might cause a change in behavior. Yeah. Um, the second reason, though, why they might want to accept it is higher limits. Um, gaming is a perfect example where, sure, $100 transactions are very feasible, but allowing someone to do a $20,000 transaction, which can happen with like, uh, um, you know, sports bets that have been placed in Vegas back when the odds were 2,000 to 1, and lo and behold, they're in the Super Bowl now selling that asset is not something that can be done with a credit card. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so there are use cases for high chargeback categories that allows them to serve an entirely different market that they aren't able to do today. Yeah, I think uh, gambling is a really interesting use case because uh, people who are gambling online are usually highly motivated, right? So they're willing to learn what Dash even means. Uh, they might go through the hoops of actually acquiring Dash, especially if it's cheaper. Um, you know, than, than just paying with a credit card or because especially if they can just set it up once and wire money to their exchange or whatever. But there's but, another aspect to it, too, which is those are people that don't mind the volatility. I mean, they're nice. already they're paying to get volatility. Sure. On the, sure. And you're, and you're dealing with uh, with an intangible. Right. Yeah. In terms of like uh, digital goods, gambling. But but that's so, so, the, so the kind of counter to that is the remittance space where volatility is a big deal. Right. And the idea that a consumer, uh, especially an immigrant or their family in a remote country, would actually learn what a new currency is, is in many ways untenable. Right. And so yet the space focuses very heavily on cross-border transactions because of the friction of the banking system as being a great use case. Um, but yet that hasn't really taken hold en masse across any crypto ecosystem. Yes, Bitcoin is definitely gets anecdotal evidence that people do use it for cross-border transactions. I certainly have, but but not where it's a, a mass market phenomenon in any way, shape, or form. It's very self-service today. Right. And um, the volatility issue is real. Um, it's even more real for a smaller cryptocurrency like Dash, um, which has about 25% higher volatility than Bitcoin sure. does. Sure. Um, one of the advantages that Dash has is its speed, however, because volatility over time can be reduced if the time itself is, <laughs> is compressed. And so when we have exchanges that honor 
instant send transactions or honor one confirmation, it can allow them to only take cryptocurrency fluctuation risk for a period of a couple of minutes. Um, over the course of an hour, the price of Bitcoin or any of these assets can change dramatically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Over the course of two minutes, not so much. And so, uh, you know, one of the answers that we have to the volatility issue is if you're really just getting in and getting back out, um, Dash's speed offers advantages. Now, that, that's dependent on the exchanges themselves supporting these features. They don't all support it. Some of them are still in the mentality of you need six confirmations regardless of your security model. Yep, yep. And so we have to go out and educate the exchanges, um, answer questions about different scenarios. What happens if I don't see a chain lock? What happens if I don't see the instance and lock? How do I you know, manage risk in, in certain edge cases? And so we have to go out and educate them on how to do, how to how to accept these, how to recognize the instance and locks, and so on, um, and recognize the the benefits to them. That exchanges that honor instant send, it's probably obvious, but they see higher volumes, they sure. see higher trading volumes. But it seems to me that that the chicken and egg problem you're referring to would be easily addressed if if consumer demand was already there. I definitely foresee a day when there is consumer demand. My question is, what is the path between today and that and that future day? Um, how do we get over the hump of, of initial consumer demand so that uh, an awesome technology like Dash is being used for remittances and that dream is fulfilled? Right? What is the the path of least resistance to the average consumer who doesn't know what a private key is yeah. using a cryptocurrency model like Dash to actually send money to Mexico, for example? Well, we're trying a few different things, and I think it, it's yet to be determined what will be successful, but we're trying to take lessons from the payment space when new payment methods are introduced, how have they been successful? And I think for me, there's two main answers to this. One is you have to have concentration of use somewhere. This can't be something that you use once a year or the consumer forgets that they even have a wallet. Um, what, what that means for us in places like Venezuela is we're penetrating an entire mall and um, you know getting Dash integrated into everything in the mall so that a consumer can go there and they don't even have to think twice. Mm -hmm. And so we are able to get these ecosystems going where, you know, we can build off of them. And they tend to be concentrated in, in you know, very centralized little niches within a city. Um, and that seems to be working very well. Um, I think the second, and, and by the way, this doesn't need to be in the physical realm. It could be penetration in the gambling space where you, you know that every gaming platform accepts Dash and I can cash out from one and send it to another one. Um, and so it doesn't have to be physical, but you know, uh, Dash is, is pretty uniquely positioned there. Right. So, so that's one of the reasons we go for that. I think the second attribute is we need to partner with companies that are enabling the cash in and cash out and building solutions that are easy for people to use. An example of this is we worked with Bitnovo in uh, Spain and they're, they're now in many countries in, in Europe 
where users can go in and at a, a convenience store or a grocery store, they can actually buy a card, hmm. a dash card with dash on it. Yep. And, <clears throat> and then uh, we integrated a service called Dash Text that allows them to actually text, go to the Bitnova website and actually text the balance to someone. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that is the type of user experience that average people can use. Yep, yep, fantastic. Hey, did you know you can get $25 in Bitcoin just for signing up and creating an Apple wallet? Abra makes investing in cryptocurrencies super easy. Try today and learn more at abra.com slash goabra. Terms and conditions apply. So um, I, I look at technology, I mean, I, I look at technologies for the altcoin space constantly, right? I think the single best way to move the crypto ball forward is to have com competing technologies. Uh, and if you want to improve technologies like Bitcoin, um, the best way to do that is, is just basically have more and more of these uh, competing technologies. So if you look at other technologies in the space, right, um, do you have an opinion on things that you think you would want to bring into Dash right now that you're particularly excited about? I think that there's some really interesting things that continue to happen with privacy um, that are increasingly scalable and uh, don't impact the user experience quite as quite as much as some of the early technologies did. Um, and so I think that's an area where we're going to be uh, exploring it quite a bit. Uh, second area is honestly block propagation technologies. Hmm. We want to be able to scale massively. And there are some real innovations that are happening around block propagation that if you speed up block propagation, um, the economics for the miner changes. Absolutely. They can uh, include more transactions with lower fees and still be assured that their block will be accepted by the network. And so we're, we've done quite a bit of research in, in that area ourselves. And we've also looked at what's being done with Bitcoin Cash and some of the uh, other chains that are looking to more towards scaling. Yep. Um, and so I think there's some innovative things there that we could incorporate. Um, and I'd say the last is really around identity. We're rolling out Dash Platform later this year onto our testnet. And it incorporates a lot of different things to, to be able to allow users to create a username and uh, be able to uh, create friends lists where um, if I send you a friend request and, and you accept it, now we're connected. I don't have to send you an address outside of the network through an mm -hmm. insecure email channel uh, that subject to man in the middle tax and right. then make a phone call to you to verify it. We can just transact with each other. So it's more secure. It's more user friendly because it's similar to the services we're used to like Venmo. And um, I think there's been some work done around you know, identity and, and sharing that type of information through the network. For sure. Um, and we're very far along with our implementation of that. So um, uh, that's kind of the next big release that we have coming. So tell me about the development within the Dash community, right? So you talked about identity. Uh, we talked about, uh, you know, also the, the ways that which the uh, the zero confirmation or, or uh, real-time authorization works. How many developers are working on all of this? Uh, where are they based and, and how are they paid? Right. So um, 
Dash, um, Dash's treasury funds a lot of different teams. Um, many of them are working in on the ground type of adoption efforts. Um, most of the developers that work for Dash work for Dash Core Group, and that's the entity that, that I lead. Um, we have around 30 developers in total. And um, we also have a, a community of volunteers that, you know, similar to, to Bitcoin and, and other cryptocurrencies mm -hmm. will uh, submit pull requests and, and things of that nature. Um, outside of the core uh, development, there are other wallet projects. There are um, uh, developers that are building point of sale uh, software that allows for integration into point of sale systems or uh, is standalone basic point of sale systems for accepting Dash. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I don't know how many developers are working on those types of projects because they're independently funded. Yep. But we've got uh, an Electrum wallet uh, team that is developing uh, and continuing to advance the Dash version of the Electrum wallet. Yep. We've got uh, um, a number of, of teams that are developing merchant tools. So um, I'd say, you know, it's probably somewhere between 50 and 100 total wow. that do work on the protocol. Yep. Um, I met with some developers today at uh, a conference here in San Francisco, and uh, I had never met them <laughs> or oh, interacted wow. with them before. Yeah. And they had uh, three different projects that they were working on. Wow. So I, who, who knows how many are out there that are, are building things. Yeah. You talked about, uh, well, we, we briefly touched on this idea of governance when we talked about the uh, financial incentives earlier. I think you said something like 10% of the fees generated by the network, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, uh, are basically allocated for governance-related issue, issues. Is that is that accurate? Well, uh, I'd say that the governance oversees the distribution of those funds. But yes, 10% of the new coins yep. that are... Uh, created as part of the block reward are set aside for our proposal system. How does that work? Give me, give me an example, like a, a real potential use case for, for how, how that would work from like end to end. Sure. So our proposal system is basically a monthly budget. Uh, the 10% is not paid out in every single block, but it's held back for a period of, of roughly 30 days. And uh, once per month, uh, there's what's called a super block. Um, during the month, anyone is free to put proposals up to the network. There's a, a small fee for putting a proposal up to avoid spam, but anyone is free to do yep. this. Um, and basically the proposal owner <clears throat> says what they're going to deliver, um, uh, what they're asking for in terms of fees and for how many months. And then the network votes on that, uh, specifically the masternodes. Yep. And so they cast votes, and the highest ranking proposals pay out first until that budget is gone. Um, there is a threshold that's required. You need at least 10% net votes. That means yes votes minus no votes. And so currently there are approximately 5,000 masternodes, so you need at least 500 more yes votes than so, no votes. So it sounds like really it's an idea generation tool or it's an ideation tool more so than a governance tool, right? Because 
there's no, it doesn't sound like there's any external feed saying when something's been implemented. It's simply a question of uh, what was most interesting to the masternodes in terms of maybe the roadmap or any other ideas that I wanted to put in the system. Is yeah. that, well, is, I, that, is, is that correct? I mean, uh, every network has governance, whether it says that it does or not. There's a form of governance inherent in every network. Um, and that can range from complete anarchy through to uh, complete decision-making authority on the part of the users. Dash is somewhere in the middle. Uh, what the masternodes have the authority to do is to dictate how that money is allocated. But it doesn't have the right to say exactly who Dash Core Group hires with its allocation, uh, what specifically we're supposed to be working on, how a per particular technology is implemented. And so it, it's really a governance of the dis over the distribution of resources that are available to the network. And if you do a poor job, you're not going to get funded any. So that was my, my next comment. So the incentive alignment comes from the fact that if you don't do what you said you were going to do, vis-a-vis -vis the voting system, you're probably not going to get the votes the next time around. So you, so it might be a, a, a fool me uh, once, uh, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me kind of, of scenario, right? Right. And, and we see scenarios where people come to the network and have no one's ever heard of them before. Right. There's obviously a low level of trust there, and yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. hard to get a proposal yeah. like that over the line. So the way it usually works is people come and contribute for a period of time and build up a reputation and build up a, a uh, uh, credibility. Do you get coalition building, like in the sense of a government where coalitions will form to, to get credibility to get more votes? Uh, not really. I haven't seen any evidence of something like that. I suppose it's it's feasible. Right. How much um, of the votes uh, or, or that the, the, the reward goes back to your organization as the people with the most resources or the group with the most resources working on the projects to begin with? Uh, it's, it's ranged quite a bit. Um, during the peak of the bubble, we weren't asking for anything because we were already well-funded. I see. Um, Recently, we've been uh, requesting and getting about 60% of the available budget, and the other 40% is going towards uh, about a dozen other projects or so. Um, so when the, the price is high, it tends to fund a lot more teams, sure. and when the price is low, it obviously funds fewer. And, and, and how does the protocol work in terms of uh, consensus for changes to the protocol, right? I mean, I understand the reward system for deciding what people uh, or what masternodes say they want. But now I've done, I've implemented X, right? Some cool mm -hmm. new mining feature, whatever. How do I get the network in, in, in the case of Dash to accept that feature now? So it's a very similar process to deploying a new version of Bitcoin or new features in Bitcoin. So yeah. the, the software is obviously published and um, it requires a certain threshold of miners and masternodes both adopting the latest version. And um, usually we've got, you know, if, if it's a hard fork of some type, uh, we've got some threshold that the network measures. Um, and once it passes it, say 80% are on the latest version, then uh, it would in, in the next cycle of blocks implement those features. Does, um, 
does Dash continue to adopt Bitcoin Core upgrades like SegWit or other, you know, is, is Taproot and other things going to come into Dash eventually as well? Or Yeah, so we do maintain, uh, we're, we're based on Bitcoin's code base. Yeah. Um, and we do maintain backporting of the features that are rolled out to uh, Bitcoin. We don't deploy everything. Um, there are some obvious ones that we wouldn't want to do, like uh, RBF, mm -hmm. which um, it's replaced by fee. Shouldn't be necessary in theory, given what you've already said, right? Exactly. Uh, in fact, it would be detrimental. Um, re replaced by fee basically allows a stuck transaction to get unstuck by sending a second transaction with the same inputs to another address. Right. But that could also be used to attack a merchant, say, mm -hmm. who accepted a zero confirmation transaction. I run out to my car and get on my laptop real quick and send an RBF and back to myself. And so that's obviously something we don't want to incorporate. Um, solves a problem for Bitcoin, doesn't, it actually would not be yep. uh, advantageous for us. Um, SegWit is not one that we've deployed. Um, uh, we do have other uh, plans to address some of those things uh, that, that SegWit addressed. Um, but all of the multi-sig capabilities of Bitcoin, yes. all of the standard opcodes are, are all there. Uh, if I wanted to run a Lightning-like system on, on Dash, I could. You just probably don't really see the need given your current uh, capabilities. Is that a fair uh, yeah, because we have these incentivized nodes and because um, we have these mechanisms to lock transactions and, and make them double spend proof. Right. It's, uh, it's, there's no need, I guess. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're really focused on maxing out on-chain scalability right. before we start looking at any other type of options. And from the research that we've done with Arizona State, they tested up to 10 megabyte blocks. And mind you, they come every two and a half minutes right. and they never found a limit for our network because of the speed of the servers that are running it and because of the speed of block propagation and a number of other things. That alone would get us near to PayPal level transaction volumes. Hmm. And so we, we just don't see a need to pursue anything else right now. We can achieve the scalability we need on chain. And if we're doing that many transactions, the price of Dash isn't where it is today. And we got lots of money available for research grants and things of that nature to scale further. So yeah. that that's not an area we focused on. Have, have you thought about uh, smart contract extensions to, to Dash beyond just the multi-sig, meaning true kind of, not tour and complete, a la like a Solidity, but, but something like that really, that enables true smart contracts? Uh, we're, we're not pursuing true smart contracts. They have pretty limited use cases when you consider the fact that they're essentially unstoppable code. Mm -hmm. What that means is, A, the compute is taking place within the network, in the case of Ethereum and most of these networks. Yep. That makes them very expensive to execute programs. The second issue is they're unstoppable code, and we've seen the consequences of unstoppable code with sure. hacks of some of these smart contracts. Or the DAO or, yeah. yeah, and and so we think a more practical approach for most use cases is something that we're deploying with Dash Platform, and that is 
what we call uh, uh, data contracts. Okay. It allows you to, to define your own data hierarchies, data schemas uh, within the network, store your application data within the network, but the compute itself takes place on your local device and you access that information through a decentralized API. Hmm. And what that allows you to do is to run applications, even on multiple devices, and they'll all stay synced up with each other and show you the same information. Um, if I update it on one device, it'll uh, update on my tablet or whatever. Um, and it also allows the data to be immutable and stored within the network but without all that cost overhead and over-engineering that's needed to have an unstoppable When you say stored in the network, where is the information actually being stored physically? Is it inside a block? Uh, it's, it's actually on uh, uh, basically a side chain um, that only runs on the master nodes themselves. Yep. So the master nodes are the only ones that are going to have to keep copies of this data. Yeah. Um, and so that means that I can run a regular full node without the overhead of storing everybody's data. It's a little like liquid from, from Blockstream, I guess, in, 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 a, in a little, maybe in a little ways. Yeah, and, and so uh, all of that data is uh, hashed back to the main chain to sure. prove that it's uh, not been tampered with in any way, shape, or form. And so it, what this allows is for much cheaper data storage and access and compute on your local device. Mm -hmm. Enterprises will love it because they'll be able to access through an API as a with their existing uh, legacy architecture um, and without the overhead of a new programming language, without having to rewrite anything, and accessing the network using standard protocols like HTTPS. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to make it much more usable, yet providing a lot of the functionality that smart contracts provide. Yep. So are there any live applications running on these uh, smart contracts or, or side chains yet? Well, we are in DevNets right now. Okay. And so we do have a couple of reference uh, applications that uh, we're developing. One is the DashPay app. Mm -hmm. uh, the DashPay app is one that will allow us to you know create usernames and and transact with each other i can send a note along with it um, basic information we're also developing as a reference app a twitter-like application that stores all of the the uh, tweets within the network itself um, with a tipping functionality attached to mm -hmm. it and so um, we're doing that as a demonstration of what the uh, network can do and so it's still a decentralized app uh, so I, long as the number of masternodes remains sufficiently decentralized whatever that means in, in quantitative versus qualitative terms, yeah I guess. decentralized is one of the poorest defined terms in cryptocurrency right but, I think that's why I think uh, Nick's phrase trust minimized while it's not as elegant it, it's probably more accurate right yeah um, exactly and, and and so it sounds like maybe even just as a last point I mean I, I'm fascinated by this whole like stablecoin uh, discussion happening in, in the market from many different perspectives but it sounds like you could even develop something like a die using this sidechain model that could potentially use dash as uh, the collateral for a stablecoin similar to the die model is that is yeah that I mean people have already kind of uh, 
develop different models for how to create uh, stable coins. Yep. You can certainly issue tokens within this type of platform. You, you but the can tokens issue... would be worthless. The question is, what gives yeah. the tokens their value? Exactly. If they were collateralized in in um, in Dash, for example, that could be interesting, right? Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see. The idea behind platform is let's put it out there and let's sure. see what creative things people come up with and develop for it. Um, I think that you know if you are able to do uh, asset issuance on. Uh, something as, as basic as Bitcoin Cash with SLP, um, this is like that on steroids, right? Yeah. You, you really have infinite flexibility about how you define your data, how the data relates to each other, what are the dependencies between data, what's the structure the data has to follow. And so you can really build out something very sophisticated, um, store all of that data, and be able to verify it um, independently. Gotcha. Last question. Uh, Five years out, who has more users, Dash or Libra? The whole idea of I'm going to say Dash. Um, I, I have been skeptical of Libra since day one. I think the day it came out, I, I put out a little tweet storm about it and uh, said that it won't be long before people start withdrawing, particularly the payments-related companies would start withdrawing from that consortium. I could see why, yeah. And um, I think that they're going to launch something. It will be in certain jurisdictions, um, not any of the ones they would like to be in. Uh, and it's unclear to me how long they'll pursue it. But it, I could be wrong on that, but I've been one of the biggest skeptics since the day it came out. So I know I'm not the norm within the crypto space, but I really think that, that they're going to have a very hard time. Gotcha. Well, Ryan Taylor, uh, CEO of the Dash Core Group, thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to stop there and say uh, that was a fantastic overview of Dash and everything that's happening there. Uh, if you're using Abra, please go check out Dash uh, in, in the Abra app uh, and uh, support uh, the community like we do here at Abra. And uh, thanks for joining us for another episode of Abra Money 3.0. Thank you, Ryan, for, for you. being here. Thank you very much for having me on. My pleasure. I look forward to having you back again soon. All right. Take care, everyone. We'll see you again soon. Thanks again for listening to the Abramoney 3.0 show. We hope you liked this episode as much as we did. If so, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and download the Abra app wherever you get your apps. Thanks again. Thanks again.